Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. This show presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. Our guest today, Aaron Fitt of D1 Baseball. Let's get right into our conversation with Aaron. Aaron Fitt joins me today. He's been a friend of mine for years. He is the best in the business at covering college baseball. He works over at D1 Baseball. Aaron, thanks for joining us today. Chris, always a pleasure, my friend. How are you? Doing well. It's a pleasure to have you on to talk about the Braves and their dominating run for the post. Isn't that what we agreed to? Yeah, that's exactly it. That's got to be it, right? That's, that's what uh, the topic on everybody's minds right now. How about that? Oh, man. I have a story. I have a, um, I have a seven-year-old son who loves baseball. And uh, it, my wife, we, we talked about it. We let him stay up to watch the final out. And at the end of it, he just started screaming and woke my family up and everything. But it's a thing that, that we'll never forget. And, yeah, and I had such a good time. I remember, you know, I grew up in, in Massachusetts, and uh, but but I remember those uh, early '90s Braves teams. I was, you know, I was captivated watching the the Ron Gant and Terry Pendleton and you know David Justice. Those those teams of the the very beginning of that run. Um, it was hard not to not to pull for those guys. Just a neat kind of underdog story. And, and this team, I thought, you know, not to get too deep into the Braves, but uh, they definitely had a a little bit of a similar vibe to that early like 1991-ish, you know, Braves era where it's just like, you know, it's not they didn't come out of nowhere, but like from where they were at the midseason mark to where they yeah. were at the end and, you know, losing Acuna, the whole thing. I mean, it was just a, it was a hell of a story. You got you to gotta yeah. love it. I was down in Atlanta the day they played the Rays, their first game back from the break, which they lost. Uh, and that's they traded for Jock Peterson while I was driving down, didn't know it till I got to the ballpark. But it's just so wild to think, you know, the first game after the All-Star break, they're under 500, they're in second or third place. And so I was there just when the wheels started to go in motion. Uh, and and let's connect this to Vandy here. Dansby Swanson and Kyle Wright both get rings, which I was very happy for both those kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, um, that whole group, that whole era for Vanderbilt was just filled with such likable players, you know, warm, personable kids. And, you know, Dansby, of course, was was right at the forefront of that, and, and Kyle as well. But, um, you know, some of my favorite teams ever to cover, you know, those those Swanson, Fulmer, you know, Rhett Wiseman, you know, all those, all those guys are just so easy to connect with. And, and uh, yeah, and plus it was great to see Dansby playing so well. You know, obviously the, the defense is special. He's a big home run in the clinching game. Uh, felt, felt, felt great for him. He just has locked it down at shortstop. I mean, I, I watched them. I, I watched just about every game they played the last two months. It, just the way that he almost never makes an error, it, it's it's incredible. Yeah, and he'll make some plays that'll make your jaw drop too. It's uh, uh, it's just it's um, you know it's cool to see the way he's um, he's coming to his own. And uh, of course, we always knew he was a special talent, uh, but uh, just a just a great winning ball player. It was a little surreal to see he and Bregman square off in the World Series, wasn't it? Yeah, really. That's that's right. That was the big debate that year was Swanson yeah. versus Bregman. You know, who, who would you take uh, if you had the number one overall pick? Who would you take for player of the year? I mean, you know, those were some yeah. good debates. Um, two players that I think will always kind of be linked, linked together. I'm thinking back 
was one of the knocks on him at the time. This has been six years now, but it seems like wasn't there some question whether he was a, a second baseman or a shortstop or, or am I imagining that? I think most people, by the time he was a junior, um, I think everyone pretty much regarded him as a true shortstop. I mean, you know, maybe heading into his what junior year because he had played second the previous year as a sophomore, right? If I'm not yeah, mistaken, yeah. And, and the first year he didn't play at all That's or right. much because he was hurt. That's so, right. Yeah. And so yeah, he had, he had so heading into his junior year, he hadn't played short yet. So maybe there was a question at that point. But um, I think pretty quickly as a junior, you know, that's why he went number one is because he was a legitimate shortstop, you know, with 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 quality tools across the board. But um, yeah, I think at that point that that was pretty much settled. There's more of a question about Bregman. You know, where does Bregman profile? Um, and of course, I think he could. Bregman could have been a very good shortstop, and he certainly could have been a really good second baseman, which is where I always thought he would he would play was second. But um, he certainly has settled in as one of the best defensive third basemen out there. My goodness, are you a little surprised? And I don't want to get you in over your depth because you're not watching the Braves every night. No, but are you sure a little not. surprised that that um, Kyle Wright hasn't made a bigger splash by now? Um, you know, it's that's one that I. I'd have to plead some ignorance about because yeah. I just have not followed him that closely or, or the Braves really that closely until the postseason this year. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's certainly, you know, we love the talent at Vandy. I mean, it's uh, – uh, but, yeah, I mean, I thought he would be a pretty big star. You know, so I guess that's – we're still kind of waiting for that to happen, right? But um, it, there's still time. I mean, certainly there's still time. Yeah, well, I mean, he – the way that he threw in the series with – their backs against the wall. Uh, you know, sometimes you just need something to jumpstart you. And I wonder if that'll wind up being mm. that for him. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good call. We've seen that so many times over the years, right? Just that, yeah. um, that, that period where a guy really comes into his own in the postseason. I mean, I think that was kind of the case for, you know, Nate Valdi a few years ago with the Red mm. Sox. Um, he kind of had that coming out party in the postseason. And that once he got healthy again, that kind of transported him into being a legitimate like frontline dude yeah well let's talk vandy you saw the commodores in north carolina what it's been two three weeks ago now i think yeah. uh, what were your impressions of vanderbilt when you saw them <laughs> well you know i mean everyone's going to want to talk about rocker and lighter not being there anymore and how do you replace those guys and sure you know it's not easy to replace a couple of first team all Americans and top 10 picks in your rotation. But, uh, it just kind of felt like business as usual for Vanderbilt to me. I mean, it's just, you know, they're loaded. They're always loaded. Um, the next wave of arms came in there and, and, uh, you know, they're going to be just fine on the mound. I mean, sure. They've, they've got to kind of establish themselves. Um, love the talent there with, with, with Patrick Riley and, and certainly Christian little, I mean, it's, it's, Top 10 pick upside for both of those guys, you know, if, if it all clicks for them before their careers are over. Um, and, and I think Riley is certainly the guy that I saw in Chapel Hill. I mean, that was one of the major things I was kind of bearing down on was, is this guy, you know, is he that next dude, dude, right at the top? Um, and I know you saw him again at least once later in the fall, and he looked like that at first and then maybe didn't sustain it in his outing, but it's, it's fall ball. But uh, certainly the, the, what I saw was very encouraging. I mean, 94, 97 with, you know, elite riding life and big-time knockout power slider, you know, 84, 87 with that late hard tilt. And um, I saw a change up too. I mean, it, it is so physical and athletic, and he repeats it. It's clean. I mean, it's everything you're looking for. It's just a matter of now go out and, and do it. Uh, it's his time. 
and uh, and I think he will. You know, if certainly you just look at the track record of, of talents like that at Vanderbilt. You know, under under Corbs and Brownie, um, year two, year three. You know, it happens. It always happens for these guys. It feels like. I mean, I can't think of one that that it just totally did not happen for. Um, and so, you know, and he's certainly shown flashes of it. And so, so yeah, that's that's encouraging to me. I mean. Uh, Carter Holton, again, for looking at potential rotation pieces to replace those big guns. Boy, oh boy, is that guy exciting. I mean, uh, you know, to me, I mean, I, I wrote down, I thought he had like a sunny gray kind of a look to him, except from the left side, but like just physically, I mean, the fact that he's he's kind of short, but he's also very strong. Um, you know, that compact um, arm action and, and the ball just explodes out of his hand with, with, with some life and velocity. I think I saw him up to 96 uh, with a real breaking ball and, and, and a, uh, a decent slider. It was kind of, incons- I mean, a change up rather. It was, it was the, uh, inconsistent the day I was there, but it's it's there. So, but it's that big, you know, hammer curve ball like Sonny had when he was a freshman. And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of who he, he feels like to me. He's like a left-handed Sonny. So, uh, I think that's a piece you slide right in there in a, in a prominent role. And um, I thought Miles Garrett was really interesting. I don't know where he fits, what kind of a role, but, you know, athletic, twitchy guy. So, you know, I, I was bearing down on the arms. Uh, Grayson Moore, I saw at the back, a huge stuff. I could see him being a real shutdown guy late. Uh, he was, what, 94, 98 in Chapel Hill, you know, with a uh, a slider that I think flashed double plus. It was really, really good. And so... Um, yeah, they've got the, the nucleus on the mound. Uh, and, and I just, Chris, I don't think there's much question about the lineup for me. I think it's going to be just a, a, a really, really, really good offensive and defensive team. There's a lot back there. Yeah, I'll get to the lineup in a minute because I, I think there's some 2019 similarities in some ways. But two things you said popped at me. Let's go back to Grayson Murphy. And it's funny, you and I, uh, a year ago, we're sitting, I don't know if we were sitting together, but we were in the ballpark today that Luke Murphy kind of had his fall coming out party. I'm not going to say that, that Grace and Moore, what I saw was exactly the same, but you know that, that thought did flash mm. through my mind where you're seeing 98 flash on the scoreboard. I'm like, okay, all of a sudden, that's a piece I think they can have to mm. work with that you didn't really know coming in, right? Yeah, that's a, and you know what? I like your, your comparison there, that, that fall game with Murphy where it may just sit up and say, whoa, because, you know, it was, like you said, it was 97, 98, that day for Murphy with the, you know, easy plus breaking ball when he threw a good one, you know, maybe a 70 breaking ball. And I kind of thought the same thing for Moore, you know, I mean, that is, is more of a slider than, than a power curve ball. I don't know what Murphy called his, uh, but for me, Murphy's had maybe more downer action, whereas Moore's, it's got that, I wrote down vicious tilt, um, you know, it was it's 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 a good pitch, and you know he had a slower curveball too that he flip in there. But uh, that you know fastball slider come at you uh, with power stuff. I mean, if he proves that the pitchability um, is is ready, then that's that's a big time guy at the back. And and, and I'll say that again, it's fall ball, but uh, the the inning plus that he worked, he came into a jam um, and stranded a guy at third base. And the next inning. He had uh, Chapel, uh, Carolina had had runners in second and third uh, with one out, and he got out of it. You know, he got a ground ball and a strikeout. So those are little kind of things. It's just a you know, it's a learning experience uh, that I think he'll benefit from here in the fall. Yeah, the, the day I saw him, he didn't have his breaking ball, but I had someone on the staff tell me that 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 it was there. But the fastball alone was was impressive. But the the other thing that you said, Aaron, and it was on Patrick Riley. You mentioned the. 
I don't remember the word used with his fastball, but it seemed like there was a hop or something. Late life yeah. is what you said. That is exactly what I saw um, when in the scrimmage that we had that we saw here. I was like, I don't think the fastball had that little extra to it at the end that it that I maybe maybe we imagine these things. It's a nice narrative, but when I'm watching, I'm thinking I don't really remember that from a year ago. Yeah, and it's you know it's quantifiable. I know that uh, the spin rate thing, you know, it's it's up in the twenty five hundreds. That's that's very very good kind of riding life typically when you got a spin rate that high on a fastball. I don't know what the induced vertical break is. I'm sure Brownie could tell you, but it's it's uh, I'm guessing it's pretty good. It's got it's got some real ride to it. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. And just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville. But he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore Athletics. His support as the title sponsor for Season 7 is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. You didn't get to see Christian Little pitch, but right. you talked to people in around baseball. They've probably seen him. What What is the word on him? I, I thought his outing here was pretty good. Uh, he was a little more consistent. You know, last year it was just a, a mixed bag. Pick your day. You know, someday he looked, you know, he, he was giving up bombs to, to mediocre hitters. Other day he was mowing down Ole Miss. So what what's the buzz on him right now that you're hearing? Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's just an elite talent. I mean, it's he's so – uh, loose and athletic and wiry and just it, it's explosive. It's just a matter of, you know, I think it's standard kind of um, development. I mean, especially since the guy that was young for the class. Um, and he, I think the experiences he got last last spring were, were very beneficial. He pitched in some meaningful postseason games and uh, on a big, big stage. And, you know, there's no question on the talent. I just think it's it's a simple matter of getting that experience. You know, that confidence will continue to grow, adding more strength. I mean, all the stuff that you typically see from freshman year to sophomore year. Um, I expect that's what we'll see in the spring. I definitely think he's going to make a big step forward. What did you see out of Miles Garrett? Because he did not pitch in the scrimmages here. So uh, Tim Corbin, we asked him about him. He said he'll be fine. But um, he was a kid last year that certainly showed some things before he got shut down at the end of the year. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a funky, you know, three quarters look, a little like head whack thing going on. Some things that had some deception, um, you know, small, smaller, wiry framed athlete, but it's just a lightning arm. Um it really works, you know, comes out of there, they're good. And it's, I think it was 90, 90 to 93 in Chapel Hill. Um, 
you know, decent slider, I thought, in the mid-80s. And uh, uh, I thought he had very good feel for the changeup, actually. He used it as a swing and miss pitch, uh, good arm speed, some deception there. So I, I thought I saw a three-pitch guy. Now, you know, you see a delivery like that, maybe you wonder about repeatability and command. But um, the look I had was, was pretty good. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. But definitely that feels like a, an emerging guy. The lineup, I think they got eight runs that day that you were there. Is that correct? Uh, let's see. Just I think five, maybe. Okay, five. Maybe it was. No, wait. No, I'm looking at the wrong side. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It was more like eight. You're right. Yeah. What What did you think of them? What did they show while you watched? Uh, it, it's, it was pretty good. I mean, just, you know, balanced athletic, um, you know, they, they, they're going to run, of course, you know, with, with Bradfield and Javier Vaz and, um, you know, Spencer Jones can run for a big guy. You know, we, we know that. So they've got that, that piece of it. Um, you know, I think Rob Gordon, I don't know if, how much he'll play, but he's, he, it's, it sounds like a guy that, uh, could bring some more of that athleticism to the mix, uh, somewhere, um, you know, I think if they play take Holwick at first base, like uh, that gives you, which sounds like a possibility, uh, even though he's, a, you know, he's a good second baseman too. But if you, if you played him at first, that gives you a guy that brings some athleticism to that position. He he can move a little bit, and um, yeah, I just saw a lot of tough outs, you know, mature at bats, a lot of hard contact. Um, Davis Diaz played short when I was there, um, and I think that guy's going to be a really good player. You know, it's just a a really patient approach and, and, uh, um, you know, smooth at shortstop it works. He works counts. I think he, I think he took three walks that day, but he also hit a ball in the nose to center field. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the guy I'm excited about, but Keegan and, and Nolan and, and Spencer Jones and, you know, Troy Leneve. I mean, you've got some physicality there with, with, with that group. So I just think it's a really good balance of, 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 you know, power guys and, and speed guys and contact oriented guys and, uh, left and right, you know, they can left and right you all the way through. They've got depth on the bench. Um, and I think they're going to defend, you know, and Carter Young didn't even play in this game because uh, he, you know, was banged up or whatever. But um, you would think they'd be pretty strong up the middle. I guess the, the big question is, you know, how, how does the catching position shake out? Keegan caught uh, in Chapel Hill. And, and I thought he looked pretty good back there, you know, better than I've probably seen him before behind the plate. Um, I don't think it's the strongest. Well, I think there's arm strength there. I don't think he has the quickest transfer. So maybe that's something that he's got to clean up a little bit in order to get some kind of better pop times, control that running game a little bit better. But uh, I think the receiving is coming along, not a finished product. But, you know, I mean, you, you've got, um, you know, Alan Espinal there too. I guess that would be maybe the more polished defender uh, at that position if, if you wind up thinking that's the direction you need to go. Uh, but uh, there's, there's a chance for Keegan to catch. And if he can... Um, That'll be very interesting because that could really maximize the firepower in this lineup. And it would also maximize Keegan's draft prospects if he can prove that he can do it because we know he can hit. And uh, he, he kind of did his usual thing in that scrimmage, you know, driving the ball the other way like he always does. Like he doubled the, to right center. Uh, it's like 108 exit velocity. I mean, that guy can really can really sting the ball. So, um, yeah, I just think it's a, it's a balanced roster balanced position group that uh, can beat you a lot of different ways. Yeah, I think that they will end up catching him. I'll be surprised if they don't. The, the spots I'm watching first, I, I I don't know what they'll do with Leneve. He could land there. He, he was there mm. a little bit. I don't know if he played first the day you were there. They seem to like Jones and Wright, I'm, I'm guessing because of throwing arm. 
left. I wouldn't. I know Vaz played second in the series here. I wouldn't be shocked to see him end up back in left. But it's it just going to be very interesting to see where they settle at, at those spots. The other corner spot on the infield is I. I you know I think he's just been married to Parker Nolan since he's been here. So I, I kind of. I know they got candidates, but I'd be shocked if that goes anywhere else. So to, to right. me, if, if you're them, what do you do at those three spots, the corner outfields and, and first? Yeah, you're right. They, they've got some flexibility, some options there. And again, I, you know, I wasn't expecting Colwick to be in the first base mix. I mean, I, I always kind of liked him as a second baseman or maybe even, you know, I think he's played some center field, if I'm not mistaken there. I don't know, but I mean, it, it doesn't really feel like your typical first baseman, but I kind of like having an athlete there, a guy that can really can really play defense. And also, he's gotten thicker and stronger. I think that uh, you know he's driving the ball some. Um, hits the balls in the nose there in the game I saw. So keep an eye on Colwick at first. I really think that's a possibility. Certainly, Leneve I could see there. I, I think Leneve's bat is going to be in the lineup somewhere because uh, I just – I really like – you know, the left-handed power there. And then I, I like the Ed Batsy takes too. I think he's going to take a big step forward. So whether you play him in, in a corner outfield spot or first or DH, I got to imagine he's going to play. Um, and I'm with you, you know, it kind of makes sense to have Spencer Jones in, in right field or, or DH, I guess. But if that arm is all the way back and he's throwing okay and they're comfortable with him out there, you know, put that thing to use. He can, he can move pretty well as we've talked about for a big guy. So, um, yeah, you know, Nolan, I, I would think, is a, is a no-brainer, probably a third. Um, and then you've got Voss, I guess, is, is probably, I don't know, can we make sense of second base? I mean, because you've got other pieces that maybe fit better in that corner outfield spot. Uh, if you put you put Javi at second, I think it just, for me, it fits the personnel best. But we'll see. And I'm sure they'll play a variety of combinations here to, to get guys some experience and move things around and see what, what, what clicks. Yeah, second's interesting to me, Aaron, because I think when I've watched Vaz and Colwick both play, uh, and when Colwick's healthy, I just think he's a, a better option by 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 a good bit. I'm I'm not sold on Vaz's arm. Um, mm. I think Colwick's glove is more consistent. I mean, Tate's yeah. played. He did. You you won't imagine he played center field and started for them out there two years ago for a while. Um, so I, I think you know how he does in the fall. He just kind of hey, let's throw this guy over here, and some of that is you're going to get a guy hurt at some point this season. It's like, let's go back 10 years, Tony Kemp, right? They, yeah. they move him to second base in the middle of the season. I think Tim always is going to do that kind of stuff. So I, I don't know. I mean, he loves Vaz, and he's going to be in there somewhere. I just, to me, I'm going Colwick at second and throwing him at left but before I am anything based on what I've seen. But, you know, kids improve. Um, coaches see things we don't see, and you never know. And then so would you do Spencer and Wright and Leneve – uh, at first base, is that how you kind of envision it? I, that, that's I what that. I think, but I just I haven't seen enough of Leneve at first, and they've also got Gavin Cassis over there, yep. who they they've liked his bat. Um, they, they've got a they've got a problem, and it's in a good way. And these things usually resolve. They certainly did last year um, with health, but uh, you know. And, and here's another one. I don't know if you saw T.J. McKenzie, but he had a pretty good series yeah. in the fall here, and so it's another kid out there in the wings. I mean, I think that. Darren, I'm guessing that you're going to see them mix and match in certain spots this year because you mentioned they got a lot of lefty-righty options. I think DH, I mean, God knows how many different DHs you're going to see at that point. But I think that right. – I don't know that – I made the 2019 comparison. Okay, that team had like – Ethan Paul had been a four-year starter, um, you know – 
you had a lot of guys like Stephen Scott had been around a while, didn't play for a couple years. I don't know that this team's got that known quantity, especially in leadership, like mm-hmm. they had with Ethan and some of those guys. But I look at the depth, and, and that team had it too, right? Because um, there were some odd men out. You saw, um, who was it? Cooper Davis lost the job by getting out. Yeah, right. I, I, th- I think this team is really similar to that one. I, I don't know that you have the known commodities way to have with Ethan Paul in, in the in the strength of numbers you have with that team. But I think there's some similarities if that makes sense. No, yeah, I think it's a good it's a good call as far as the the depth and the kind of versatility and the way the pieces could fit together here. And you're right. I mean, maybe you don't have like the seniors that that team had. I guess that was what was very unusual for that team for for Vanderbilt was to have multiple quality seniors, you know, with experience. But uh, but Bradfield, you know, of course, is a is a proven guy. He's only a second year guy. And you know, Nolan and Keegan, these guys have have been around a lot and played plenty of games. And so. Um, but yeah, I mean, Colwick, obviously, and Carter Young. I mean, so yeah, there's still some guys that have that have some some experience, even though they're not necessarily, you know, those kind of four year guys. Uh, but uh, I, I like McKenzie. That's another good one to bring up. I think he could fit in. Um, I don't know if if you know Matthew Polk is a true freshman. I don't know where he stands there. Um, I thought he was interesting. You know, kind of a twitchy guy. You know, uh, strong, compact build, like 5'11", but, but strong and drives the ball and um, got some some good torque in that swing. I, I thought it took a good BP. So, you know, just a guy that to file away. I don't know, again, where he fits right now, but um, he, he was interesting to me. Yeah, I think that this is going to be a tough year for freshmen to play. Davis yep. Diaz has impressed a lot of people. He's very mature. <laughs> and I always think we've got a freshman who's got that kind of approach where they take walks and can hit it on the nose. That's a guy you almost have to have in the lineup, but I don't know where. I mean, it's not going to be Carter Young, uh, and they're not going to move Nolan off third. So right. it's kind of, you know, maybe, maybe second, who knows. Um, but, again, I think I think Colwick's going to be in the lineup. The, the other guy, I don't know if you got to see him, Kenneth Mallory Jr. Um, no. Yeah, he, he he showed out here. That That's one that you you might file away on, on your deeper list because I thought he did some things when he was here. But um, let's go into the mailbag because I've got some questions from you from listeners, if you don't mind, Aaron. Sure, let's do it. Okay, our mailbag is presented by our friends at Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Um, the question about Carter Holton from Theodore 8 wants to know what the expectations should be. And should expectations be higher or lower than the production that Mason Hickman had his freshman year at Vanderbilt? Whoo, interesting question. You know, he's such a different kind of guy than Hickman. You know, Hickman was, of course, that um, ultimate strike thrower, you know, 86 to 90. Uh, It was, I don't think anyone would have called Mason Hickman electric, right? But it was very, very productive because he was just so polished. Um, Whereas, you know, Holton, I, I do feel like is, is electric, but, um, you know, I guess when you look back at Hickman's first year, actually, I mean, he was innings eater, uh, but I, I look, I, he had a five, five, five and a quarter one ERA. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that high. It surprises me. And he actually, the walk rate was a little higher than I would have guessed too. uh, 30 walks in, in 74 innings. So I'm going to take the, the over on, uh, on, on war, if you will, for, for Holton versus Hickman's freshman year. I think, uh, I think Holton's got a chance to be a freshman All-American. Um, and, you know, again, 
the the pitchability that I saw for a guy with that kind of stuff, uh, I, I think it's there, you know. And and he he went three innings, um, had had some adversity there in the first, but minimized it, and then uh, then kind of found his groove and he struck out he struck out five guys in three innings, you know. And and I think that Carolina team is actually going to be pretty decent offensively. So uh, it was it was it was encouraging. Again, it's only fall. But uh, these guys typically get better from the fall to the spring, too. And, and um, I'm expecting big things. So, yeah, I would say uh, ex- expect expect that guy to maybe be a weekend starter right away. And, and I know I know Corbs doesn't like to do that necessarily. He likes to kind of break guys in maybe as a midweek role or whatever. Uh, but I don't know. I, this guy might be too good to, to make him wait. Yeah, I'm with you. And when he's throwing guys in a scrimmage like that and when he's starting them in the opening game of the inter-squad scrimmage, that, that starts to tip your hand a little bit. I don't know if he'll play the the whole, you know, <laughs> not put him in the rotational conference play, but he, he may just be so good. And, and you're right on Hickman. Hickman was not Mason Hickman until he was a sophomore. Right, exactly. And that sophomore year was pretty special. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and again, just dif- different kind of pitchers, but, um, yeah, I think overall career value. I mean, uh, if you get any pitcher to have a career like Mason Hickman had, you'll be pretty happy with it. When are we getting more for college baseball? Well, you know, our friends at driveline, uh, who sponsor our podcast, they actually do a college war, um, that, uh, I don't know if it how publicly available it is. I think it's something they share with their their big league clients. But we we've done some podcast stuff where we we've used it. Like we actually had a game this year where we we all drafted teams and tried to predict who would have the, the highest C war, um, which we haven't gotten the answer yet. We're supposed to do a truth and reconciliation podcast with them soon, where we kind of settle settle the bets. Uh, but I, I hope I did okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember listening to a podcast where you brought that out about two years ago, and I got all excited, apparently for nothing. But um, you're at D1. You can make that happen, right? Yeah, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. All right. We, we need to make that happen. Um, let's see. What have we got next? This is a good question. Uh, why do you think the team hit so poorly during the World Series? And this is from Big Hatchy. Mm-hmm. And do you think hitting will be a strength this season? I think you've kind of answered the second part, but it was weird to watch them last year. I mean, it's the that's the first Corbin team I've ever seen that got to Omaha and got worse once it got there. Yeah, it's uh, it was interesting. I mean, honestly, I felt like Vanderbilt really didn't play very well in Omaha overall. I mean, it, it, that it was, was that was the weirdest runner up thing I've ever seen. And I know the NC State thing and then you can't hold that against them, but it, it it felt like it did not feel like a national runner up season when it was done. Well, you know, I thought they were largely out of sync out there. I mean, defensively, they were not very good. I mean, they made 13 errors in in Omaha, which was certainly by far the most out there. I know they also played seven games, but um, you know they they didn't really hit um, that well. I mean, like you said, the offense was was cold. Uh, they hit 179 as a team, you know, and and they 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 reached the finals. But like, it kind of felt like. It was that one inning where Stanford kind of just it unraveled on him. It's been it's just like kind of a freak thing that I don't know. I mean, you got to give Vandy credit. They came back, but also Stanford just kind of imploded. Right. Um, and so you had the 
you know, the 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 one nothing loss to, to NC State, and um, they were in that game. They just didn't hit, and I don't know. It, it just felt like because Vandy had such a high floor because of Rocker and Lighter, and that was able they were able to kind of get through to the finals because of that, with help perhaps from NC State having a COVID outbreak. I mean, you know. Who knows? Because usually it's the teams that, that, you know, that win it all are the teams that are playing the best. Uh, it's not usually the teams that have the best talent. And in this case, I think Vanderbilt, they got to the finals because of the talent of those two guys in particular because they were not playing anywhere close to their best. They really weren't. Yeah, and I, they looked worn out to me. It was just a weird yeah. vibe. And you you go back, and obviously Bradfield was hurt. Carter Young wasn't the same since he dislocated his shoulder a month before that, you know, he'd sat out some time. Colwick wasn't 100%, I don't think, with his hand uh, for sure. And and there were a couple other guys in there that I think were beat up. But it, it just, to me, between that and the weirdness of the year before, you had a lot of guys that probably weren't used to the pacing of the season. And it just melted into this big stew of, you know, just about everything that could have gone wrong for them offensively and defensively did. And throwing Isaiah Thomas wherever his head was during that. Yeah. Uh, wow. and that, and that's got a, that's got a weird ending to that career too. But I mean, it's just, it was, it was the strangest thing I've ever seen because we're used to seeing them go out there and just like the world on fire. And then it just was something completely different. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which, you know, that's one of those, that's baseball things and, you know, just the rhythm of, of the game. I mean, you're going to have ebbs and flows and you, you just hope that you're, um, you got a high period, you know, when it matters most at the end of the year, and it just isn't always the case. For most teams, it's not the case. Let's see what else is in here that we haven't answered. There was a question about corner outfield. We kind of answered that. Here's a good one, and I'm split on this. I'm, I'm leaning a little bit more one way after seeing them in the black and gold because I I put off the answer to this question. I said I want to see them play in the fall. And then I then I had my answer, but. Baseball Bros wants to know, is this an Omaha-level team? Yeah, I, I certainly. You know, I mean, it doesn't mean they're going to get there, but do they have that kind of ability? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing is they just need th- those pieces we talked about on the mound to, to prove it. Um, but based on trajectory of, of development and track record with the coaching staff when it comes to development, I think there's every reason to believe that they're going to be just fine on the mound. And, and I think it'll be you know, one of the better offenses in the SEC. Now, there's some good ones. Um, you know, my, my travels this fall, I saw Arkansas and Mississippi State and Ole Miss and, uh, you know, Florida and Georgia on that side. I mean, all those teams are good. And and uh, I, I would think Arkansas, for me, probably probably the best of, of the lot. But um, Ole Miss has an elite lineup. and mm-hmm. But they're kind of in a similar position with Vanderbilt where I, I think, like, you feel really good about the, the offensive pieces coming back. You like the talent on the mound but they have to establish themselves, right? Because they lost, yeah. you know, Nikhazy and Hoagland, kind of their version of Rocker and Lighter. Um, and now, you know, the day I was there to see Ole Miss, it's, it's, they threw their top six arms. And I was like, wow, these are good arms. Like, they, they should be very good with these guys. But none of them has really done it yet as like a yeah. dude, you know, like Rocker and Lighter and Nikhazy and Hoagland. So they, they just, you know, that's, but that's college baseball. I mean, it's, you, you don't get the luxury of, you know, of, of having a, um, you know, a guy anchor your staff for 10 years like you do in the big leagues. Uh, there's no Clayton Kershaw's hanging around forever. Um, you got to, you got to, you know, reload and develop year after year. That's just how it is. And so uh, the fact that they don't have that, that proven guy right now in, in November um, isn't particularly a cause for concern considering, mm-hmm. you know, you always got to find those, that next wave of guys and they, and they've got them. They've got the pieces. 
I hear LSU might hit a little bit too. Oh yeah, them. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't get to see them this fall, but yeah, yeah. They're gonna, oh my god, that lineup is going to be scary. Ooh, yeah, that's going to be one for the ages. Yeah, you, you bring in the you know the <laughs> the transfer pieces they did in addition to what they had coming back, and yeah, they're uh, they're loaded. I don't think people realized how good their two freshmen were either. Uh, I don't think until maybe until maybe the super and people saw them, but those guys kind of flew under the, which is weird. And, and, in Baton Rouge, right? Yeah. It, it kind of felt like it's just a strange year there all the way around. People yeah. were because they struggled so much in the mound and, and they were just kind of in, in such a deep hole early in the year. And I think people just kind of wrote them off, especially down there, you know, those fans, they'll, they'll get on you. Um, and, and so, yeah, it did, did kind of feel like because the team itself was just okay. They just barely squeaked into a regional, um, that those two freshmen, you know, Morgan and Cruz, were awesome players. Uh, they did kind of fly under the radar. I know that you guys won't release your rankings for a couple more months, but I know you're, you're already thinking about it. I'm sure in, in your head you're trying to form, formulate your top ten or so. Where, where do you have Vandy, who's ahead of them, like in your head right now? We're not going to hold this to you yeah. as a final answer, but I just want to hear your thought process. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just tough because – I mean, again, the SEC is so loaded, just year in, year out. But, um, you know, I just saw Florida and Georgia, I don't know, last weekend, whenever it was. Um, was it this past weekend? I don't know. It was not that long ago. <laughs> and and uh, uh, I walked away impressed with those two teams, you know, and, and I could see Vandy ahead of those two teams. I could see Vandy behind those two teams because um, you know, Georgia – you you do have probably more experienced, proven commodities in the mound. You got Jonathan Cannon back in particular, um, but I mean, I like the depth of their pitching staff, and they kind of have a maybe not as a, a electric a group of position players as Vandy, but they've got a lot of experience in that position player group. Um, and, and I got the sense that that Scott Strickland really likes his team, so I would keep an eye on Georgia as one that probably is lying in the weeds a little bit. Um, and Florida's Florida, you know, they, they had a little bit of a down year last year by their standards, but uh, the talent is, is, is really, really good as always. And I would expect them to bounce back big. So, you know, all, all three of those teams in the East, I haven't seen Tennessee, but um, we have a fall report up on them on our site right now. I encourage people to check that out. Um, I would think that they're going to be a factor again, but probably not as, you know, you would, you would think they would take a little step back after last year. Or so, um, but Florida, Georgia, Vandy, I mean, are they top 15 teams? Are they better than that? Um, I could see Vandy as potentially a top 10 team. Um, you know, I like the teams in the West. Certainly Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State all feel like top 10 teams. LSU. I mean, so like, but they can't all be in the top 10. We're going to have seven SEC teams in the top 10. Maybe we will. Well, we almost did for know. a while last year. That's true. It's true. It's, it's nuts how good the league is. It really is. Is Texas going to be everybody's number one? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, uh, uh, just on paper, what they've got back, you know, from an Omaha team, a Final Four team, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I I would think they're the they're the team to beat. They lost one or two key starting pitchers, didn't they? Yeah, um, but you know, you like Ty Madden in particular is, is yeah, kind of that's the, who I'm thinking first rounder, the big time guy. But um, you know, they've got a a, Tanner, a new guy, Tanner Witt, who was. The freshman back of the bullpen piece last year, really good freshman All American. Uh, but you know, I saw him as a starter in the Cape, and I think he's he'll make a seamless transition into being maybe a Friday guy. I think he's going to be a, a big stud for them. 
good segue here for a second. How about Texas and OU joining the SEC? Isn't that going to be crazy? Boy. Oh, boy. How about that? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I don't know. The direction we're heading in, in college sports with all the realignment, I don't really know what to make of it. Um, but from a baseball standpoint, this league was already so good. And now you're just adding, you know, more blue bloods, especially Texas, of course. Um, wow. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know where we're headed, uh, in another five or 10 years with all this stuff, but, uh, it, it's wild. It's wild. Uh, how the landscape is shifting. I'm wondering with Oklahoma, if, if the move to the SEC does to that program what it did to Missouri, mm. take a take a good program and just suck the life out of it. Yeah, it's going to be a lot more difficult for them, you would think, um, unless they really they need to invest more in in their program. I mean, their facilities are uh, are dated, and uh, you know they need to they need to do something there and really step it up if they want to compete in this league. But I mean, they also that's a program that has a lot more tradition than Missouri. I mean, they they you know they won. A national title in what 1994? Um, you know, not that long ago. They 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 had a small Maha runs under Sonny Galloway. Um, you know, not that long ago. 2010, I think, was the last time they were there. So, you know, I mean, at least there's 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 more tradition there. But we we say that. But you know, Missouri they they did their share of of, of winning in the Big Twelve. They were a regular postseason team under Tim Jamison there with, you know, Max Scherzer and Aaron Crow and Kyle Gibson and those guys. And uh, and they just haven't really sniffed it. Well, I guess they've sniffed it the postseason, but they have not been able to break through um, as an SEC team. So, you know, it's uh, it's not easy. This league is is such such a meat grinder. Yeah, I, I would be concerned about that if I were an Oklahoma fan. Pardon me if I ask a dumb question where this has been decided and I just missed it, but what what is the draft going? Are we going to get that back in Omaha like it was planned? I, I thought that was just such a tremendous move, and then the pandemic hit and wiped it out, and I just thought that sucked that we didn't get to see that play out in 2020 the way that it yeah. had been planned. Yeah, I agree, and and you know I had kind of thought that the buzz after that was, well, this was the chance and now it's not going to happen. Um, but now I'm starting to hear maybe some buzz that it, it, it might happen next year is it, that they'll try it again. I, I don't know. I mean, at this point, I, I don't think that has been decided yet. Um, I, I'm with you. I think having it, as long as they have it before the world series, like in those couple of days leading up to it, uh, and there's no overlap there, then, um, then that would be fun. I mean, I, I'm sure coaches would have mixed feelings about it. Um, I'm, you know, I can only imagine Corbs how he would feel about the distraction of getting to Omaha and having players go to the across the street to the draft and all that right before the World Series. I'm sure he would love it. Uh, but you know, I mean, it's got to happen sometime. It just is, you know, the timing is what it is, and that's probably as good a time as any, as long as it's not during games. Well, what night would you? Because I'm thinking. You know, what would be ideal would be you do a Friday night primetime kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Although I guess you got a couple of days. You, you got a three day draft. That's something you got to contend with. I don't know if you can can switch that around. Probably with the way that that it works with wanting to know what a guy would sign for and everything. You need that. You need those little built in breaks. But I'm just trying to think of what the best timeline would be to to pull all that off in relation to if we stick with the a Saturday start for the CWS, which I. I presume they would want to stick with, given the travel expense for fans and stuff. I'm just trying to think in my head, what would be the best timetable to lay out your week? I guess you have supers are all over by Monday night, right? Right. 
Maybe you could do yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, rain. Friday. I don't know. That would be, I think, I mean, I, I think that would be the best scenario is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, and then game starts Saturday. Now, I feel like the World Series is slated to start on Friday and starting. I think they're moving, they're changing the calendar. They're moving oh, it up. Oh, good, good. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, they're trying to condense it just a little bit, the whole thing, and, and, and make sure you actually have games in the second weekend rather than potentially two off days um, as it is now. You know, if, if you have... If you have your your winners bracket teams, um, both win, you know the undefeated teams win on, on Friday of the second week, then you could have no game Saturday, no game Sunday, um, which the NCAA is trying to eliminate. So anyway, um, that could also complicate the timing with the draft. I don't know. I mean, there's it's uh, smarter people than I will have to figure this out, but um, it, it it still feels like it just it makes sense to do it, you know, to tie all that together if we can get everybody on the same page. I'm sitting here thinking as you, if they do that, you'll be out in Omaha for three weeks. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, as it is, we're, you know, it's always two weeks. It's Thursday to Thursday for us. Um, and so, you know, maybe if it, if it's ending a little earlier in the back end, it, it won't be hopefully that long, but, um, we, we, we enjoy that time out there anyway, but yeah, three weeks would be a long time. <laughs> Yeah, it would be a very long time. Well, hey, you, you've been a fantastic guest, as you always are. Um, I wanted to give you a moment uh, just to give you the floor as we wrap up. I don't know if there's anything on Vandy that we didn't get to that's worth a mention. And certainly take the time to promote what you guys do at D1 Baseball. Because if somebody's listening to this as, as a college baseball fan and they don't subscribe and listening or listening to your podcast, they need to be. You guys, I'm amazed at how much work you do It just – I, I get tired reading it because I'm in the content production business and I know how much work goes into it. And I hope folks, if they don't subscribe to your stuff already, they need to and, and support a great thing. Well, I, I appreciate that. And you said it as well as uh, better than I could have said it. I, I, we all certainly appreciate all the support we get uh, from the college baseball world. And, and uh, um, you know, it's a labor of love for us. And we've got an incredible staff cranking out content. And, um, you know, we've got fall reports coming in hot and heavy now, you know, uh, all, all the way through really up until the holiday break. Uh, and I think they're really as, as good of a, a season preview primer as you could find because we go we go deep on these rosters. You know, a lot of times we're we're breaking down, you know, 30, 35 guys. We're going deep into it. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a while for those guys to click. Sometimes none of them click. But you might look up in May and be like, why do I know that name? And then you you look back and you find the fall report from October and it's like oh yeah Rune saw that guy in a, in a in a random scrimmage at Arizona State or you know whatever uh, I, I just think it's for the for the real junkie for college baseball or even the casual more casual fan uh, we we hope uh, we hope to give you everything you need to follow college baseball at d1baseball.com. Are you the most meticulous note taker you know? <laughs> uh, I mean. Probably on the journalism side, uh, I would say. There's scouts that, you know, they, they really, those guys, uh, they take very detailed notes. Uh, if you ever peek over the shoulder at a scout's notebook. But, but yeah, I, you know, I try to fill up notebook pretty good, Chris. Yeah, you, you do a good job of that. And, and you bring it on our podcast every time. It, it just, it amazes me. You got 300 teams to follow, and and yet you know the one that I'm covering as well as I do. I just think that speaks so well to to your work and and all the time you put in. And again, you've been a great guest. Thanks for joining us, and uh, hopefully we'll catch you again in February or sometime. We'll find a reason to do it and make it happen. 
Yeah, always a pleasure, Chris. Uh, you know, I, I know I say that every time, but it's true. I uh, really enjoy talking baseball with you and, and appreciate your uh, your passion for this. And, and uh, uh, it's, just, it's just a lot of fun. So thanks for having me on. All right, Aaron. Thanks for joining us. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.